This week on Blue 58, things are looking different in Green Bay, and that's not a bad thing, but now it's time to get down to work. And Brian Gutekunst has his work cut out for him. We'll talk about what that means for one notable player. Then, the Packers still need a defensive coordinator, but what should we expect? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one, the only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, excited to be back with you for another episode, episode number 64. 64, actually a fitting number for this week as we make a big push to get Jerry Kramer uh, voted into the Hall of Fame. Go and cast your vote online if you haven't done that yet. Don't know how much difference it makes. I don't know when they started taking fan votes into consideration, but I've seen these polls going around. Might as well have your digital voice be heard. Let's dive right into what's going with the going on with the Packers right now. And boy, there is a lot going on with the Packers right now. Just two weeks ago in this space, we were talking about, well, we weren't actually talking about anything because it was Christmas. And uh, we were still sorting out uh, that, that special Christmas episode and uh, just getting used to the idea of the Packers going into their final regular season game of the year. Now, not even two full weeks into the offseason, not even a week and a half into the offseason, Everything is different in Green Bay. Brian Gutekunst has the GM job. Mark Murphy is asserting more power. Mike McCarthy is making something of a power play or has made something of a power play. And now uh, the entire organization is a little bit different. I like the Gutekunst hiring. Personally, I think I would have been in favor of anybody the Packers brought in from within the organization. I think they all have unique skills. I think they all have uh, their own merits. And Gutekunst seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders and he's capable of doing a good job. So I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about him so far. And I I don't think it's fair to have a whole lot of thoughts about him so far because he hasn't done anything yet. And he hasn't had an opportunity to do anything yet. But early returns sound pretty good. What is interesting, though, as we dive into headline number one, um, is is Mark Murphy's role in all of this. And I'm entire piece that I've written at thepowersweep.com titled, It's All About Mark Murphy. Because going forward with the Packers, it really is all about Mark Murphy. This is the first time he's really fully asserted his will since he entered this position 10 years ago this month, taking over for Bob Harlan. Now he has overseen the transition out of the Ted Thompson era, He has installed his own general manager. He has elevated another personnel guy or finance guy, whatever you want to call Russ Ball, to a level nearly equal with his general manager. And he's apparently given more power to Mike McCarthy. But at the same time, Murphy has also set up some interesting structures to reinforce his own position. He's made it clear that the path for a new head coach for the Packers comes through him not his general manager, at least not right now. He is the one who is going to have that decision. Decision. So he's taken a little bit of power away from the general manager position. He also has retained authority over Mike McCarthy in a way that I don't think we've ever seen from the team president before, except for maybe when Vince Lombardi was doing the things that he did uh, when he was just the the front office version of Vince Lombardi, not the the head coach and general manager. He is going to have Mike McCarthy answer directly to him and not just from a personnel standpoint, not just in in who's your direct report. He's going to be meeting with with Mike McCarthy about things like game plans. I don't know how much stock I put into that 
in terms of what sort of input Murphy is going to have into those game plans. But it is interesting to me that he's going to have any kind of input at all, that he's going to want to talk with McCarthy about things like this. Because that's a level of involvement we just haven't seen from Murphy before. He's been mainly a behind-the-scenes guy. No more. He's very much in front of the scenes. A commenter pointed out to me on Twitter that this could be just a, a ploy to take some pressure off of the guys beneath him, like Gutekunst, like Russ Ball, like Mike McCarthy. And I think there is some merit to that. But we also know who to point to if all of this starts going belly up, because it's the guy who's constructed this unusual power structure in Green Bay. Murphy is the guy in charge, unquestionably. So all of this is going to come back to him. Moving on, though, talking a little bit more specifically about one of those people he has put in charge, I think Brian Gutekunst has three main priorities as he heads into this offseason. Of course, you got to start talking about Aaron Rodgers' contract and things like that, as other people have. But in the short term, the things that Gutekunst is going to have to do right away, I think there are three of them. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about priority number two here in a second. But I I want to start with the one that is near and dear to my heart. His first priority, I think, this offseason is to get more pass rush for the Packers. Clay Clay Matthews, Nick Perry and Mike Daniel represent a huge investment on defense for the Packers. They make the most money out of anybody on the defense. Uh, They're expected to have the biggest roles. And they really didn't this past year. Daniels was good. We found out today that he's headed to the Pro Bowl. Good for him. Nick Perry got a big contract this last offseason and did not live up to it. Seven sacks and threw up a bunch of them against a real bad uh, team there down the stretch. And just, uh, he did not, they were not seven impactful sacks for Perry. And Matthews, while he was good, probably better than we've seen in quite some time, showed that he is not the the leading driver of a pass rush anymore. Uh, he is not the guy who, who defenses need to look out for all on his own. And I, I think you don't necessarily have to have a guy like that to have a successful pass rush. But I think for Clay Matthews to be effective, now, at this point in his career, he does need some help. So the Packers and Brian Gutekunst need to figure out a way to get more out of their pass rush and to just get more pass rushers. Um, I don't know how much of a role Ahmad Brooks has going forward. He was a little bit of a disappointing signing, although he had some injury issues um, that, you know, you, you in an ideal world, he wouldn't have had to deal with. But they need more guys. You can't just have... Ahmad Brooks get hurt and then say, well, that's it for our backup pass rushers. Kyler Fackrell, that's that's fine. You do what you do. But beyond that, we just don't have anybody. There needs to be more than that. And hopefully Gutekunst will find a way uh, to deal with that issue. He's also going to have to sort out the wide receiver position. And this is the tricky one if I'm um, the new general manager of the Packers heading into my first offseason. Because, well, for a couple reasons. First, You've got a lot of money devoted to wide receiver already. It could be $40 million heading into this next season that counts against your cap just from that position alone. That's way too much. Nobody else in the league is spending that close or close to that amount on their wide receiver position. That includes some teams with some mega superstars at wide receiver. The Packers are spending a lot of money on both Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson, and now they have another big contract on the books in Devontae Adams. The Packers could go into this year 
and having done nothing and be fine. And that should say a lot about the job that Ted Thompson and Russ Ball have already done in helping the Packers uh, stay healthy and stay competitive because $40 million on their books for the wide receiver position isn't going to break them. And it wouldn't break them if they decided that was the route that they wanted to stick with. But it's not an ideal situation, so they do have to get out of it a little bit. This gets tricky because you've got uh, sort of a legacy player, a guy who's right starting to teeter on the edge of you wonder if age is going to be concerned, and then a, a promising up-and-coming player. Jordy Nelson says he will play for less, but that's still a conversation that you have to have as the general manager and something that you have to work to through that you would probably rather not. You don't want to sit down with one of the most successful players of the last generation or so, one of the heroes of your most recent Super Bowl victory, and say, hey, we really need you to take a haircut here. That's just not a fun conversation to have. It's part of the job, but you know, you would rather be having conversations about you know, moving money around to, to reward those up-and-coming players, not asking other guys to take less. So Jordy Nelson is a, is a difficult part of that puzzle. But just as difficult, I think, and Gary wrote an entire piece as we end this long wind-up into headline number three, uh, he wrote a piece about Randall Cobb. Starting it with an interesting question right there in the headline, how much longer is Randall Cobb going to play? Um, I think that's a fair question right off the bat. He's going to be 28 years old this season. He's had a long career already. He was just 20 when he first joined the Packers and turned 21 right before their very first game. He'll turn 28 right before their first game this season. But he's taken a lot of hits. He's missed a lot of times time. And sort of the way that he plays the position just lends itself to getting beat up, coupled with the fact that he is a smaller guy. Uh, that sort of 5'10", 5'11", right around 190 pounds. I think he's played as high as 195 or so. Uh, in our most recent check, he was listed at 192 pounds and 5'10". So not a super big guy, and he does tend to get beat up a lot. So what do you do with Randall Cobb going forward? Of the three, I think he is the second least likely to take a pay cut because um, Adams obviously isn't and Nelson has said he's willing to already. I don't think there's a lot of reason for Cobb on his side to say, yeah, I'll, I'll voluntarily do that. Now, if the question is between getting cut and restructuring your deal so it's a, a longer deal uh, with a, that money split up a little bit more over a longer time, you know, that's maybe a conversation he might be agreeable to. But there's really no reason for him right now to say, yeah, I'll be okay with taking a little bit and stick around. The flip side of that conversation is he's still pretty effective. Not as effective as he once was. And I don't think we're ever going to see the 2014 version of Randall Cobb back again. I don't think he's ever going to be that slot machine type receiver. Just piling up numbers out of the slot, uh, making plays in space like that again. But he does make a lot of key receptions. He is a, a reliable third down target. And unlike Jordy Nelson, he managed to stay relatively productive even with Brett Hundley at quarterback. I think that says a lot about how effective Cobb can still be. All this to say it's a pretty tricky wicket uh, for Gutekunst as he heads into this offseason. Uh, he's got some work to do at the receiver position, and I wouldn't be surprised if 
both Cobb and Nelson do end up playing for a little bit less next season. But uh, if I'm Cobb, I'm, I'm making the Packers make that decision. I'm not approaching them and saying, yeah, I'd be willing to take a pay cut either. Before we dive into our main topic here, I wanted to make you aware again of our Patreon page. Uh, we had some surprising success with Patreon over the, the 2017 calendar year. And I would like to add to that. And I realize that to add to that success, it means directly asking you for money. So that is what I'm doing. Uh, I, I need to ask people to be willing to support this because I think we are doing something that's worth doing. And I think that value is just going to increase as we head into the off season. Uh, it's reflected already in the traffic numbers that we've seen so far in this very young 2018 year, but people love what we're doing here in the, in the off season. And to continue to do that, we need your support. We need your support to pay for things like hosting. Uh, having a website is not free. We need to pay for things like hosting a podcast. Also, unfortunately, not free. We need to pay for equipment and new services that we'd like to be able to add. And doing that, one easy way to do that is through patreon.com. Your support comes directly to us. We're only asking for a dollar a month if uh, even a third of the people who download each and every episode of Blue 58 kicked in $1 a piece. We would be taken care of uh, for all the expenses that we could you know, ever imagine, and it would be unreal the things that we could do with that. It would be very, very exciting. But to get to that point, we need you to us and to join us. So check us out at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar a month. It's all we ask. Uh, think of it as 25 cents a show for each and every one of these podcasts. I think that's a pretty reasonable going rate. Uh, I, I, I can't ask you for much more than that. I wouldn't ask you for much more than that. It's the easiest simplest way to support the power sweep if you choose to do so financially i hope you will and you can do it at patreon.com slash the power sweep let's dive into our main topic this week i would like to spend a couple minutes with you talking about defensive coordinators the packers have not yet hired a defensive coordinator and that's not typically that surprising if you're in the market for a defensive coordinator you tend to make your hires right around that divisional round of the playoffs because a few teams have been eliminated you've got more guys you can interview um and it it's it's just generally the time of the year those things start to fall most defensive coordinator hires actually happen um read this the other day between january 12th and uh, january 19th of a calendar year so today, the date this comes out is going to be January 10th. So we're right on the early side of that window when hires typically tend to start happening. Uh, the Packers have been linked to two or three notable names. Uh, Vic Fangio, the clubhouse favorite. And uh, I think we've known about him for a long time. There's a lot of things to like about him. He gave the Packers trouble when he was in uh, San Francisco. He was tough to deal with even in Chicago with a bit of a diminished roster there. Generally a well-regarded candidate all around. You've got Gus Bradley out in San Diego, the Packers reportedly asking to interview him this week as well. And then you've got Mike Patin, uh, who's done some stuff with the Jets, the Bills, and most recently as the head coach of the Browns. Maybe not the most exciting line item on his resume, but you know he's been around a little bit, been pretty well regarded wherever he goes. What's more important to me though, and I think more interesting as a topic, is what are we expecting from a defensive coordinator what's reasonable to expect what's too much to expect how much are they going to affect the packers defense going into next season 
I don't know how much they're going to affect the Packers defense. I don't know if we can answer that, especially if we if we don't know who's all going to be on the roster yet. We, we're, we haven't even begun the player acquisition phase. But just looking at a defensive coordinator, what can they do for a team? In answering that question, I would like to start with first with a few things that uh, a defensive coordinator doesn't do. First, a defensive coordinator isn't going to fix all of the Packers' personnel problems. The adage that I repeat again and again and again uh, is players, not plays. That's not original to me. That's a pretty common refrain, but it's something that, that makes a lot of sense to me and I think reflects how the game actually works. No defensive coordinator, no matter how good they are, not the risen ghost of Tom Landry, uh, not Buddy Ryan, uh, not all of those guys put together, is going to be able to fix bad players out on the field. That's a GM issue. The GM has to get you the best quality players they can. And if they don't do that, you're going to have problems no matter who your defensive coordinator is. I think you saw this for the Packers during the 2016 season. They got real banged up on defense, especially in the secondary, and there was just nothing Dom Capers could do about it. I mean, you're sticking Ladarius Gunter out there against Des Bryant and Julio Jones in the playoffs, and you have pretty predictable results. You can't scheme your way out of that one. You just, if you don't have good players, you're going to end up in some trouble. So whoever this next defensive coordinator is, no matter how good they are, if the Packers don't have good defensive players, they're it, they're ceiling is going to be limited. So you need to keep that in mind with whoever ultimately get this gets this job. It may not be their fault. And that's something that I said a lot about Dom Capers is that it wasn't his fault uh, all the time. If you go back, one game that sticks out to me is the, is the game when, when Colin Kaepernick ran all over the Packers in 2012. The, the scheme for solving the read option there was not always the problem. There was some some bad reads and stuff, but if you look at one guy in particular, Eric Walden, he got torched by Kaepernick's reads like 15 times in that game. And I may be exaggerating, but it's not a big exaggeration to say that he got torched that many times. You can scheme and scheme and scheme and drill and drill and drill and have all these meetings about doing all the right things. But if your players get out there and just aren't very good, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. You got to have good players on the field. That, that seems like something that we shouldn't have to talk about, but it is, unfortunately. Um, people are not always willing to talk about the talent level as as a contributing factor to a defensive coordinator's success. It seems like in, in Green Bay, we've wanted to have this both ways. You want to criticize Dom Capers for putting a bad defense out there, but then you'll turn around and say, and by the way, the guys that are out there are just bad. That may not be true, but or that may be true that the guys out there may have been bad, but don't criticize Dom Capers for having a bad defense uh, or bad defensive players, rather. Uh, you can criticize him for scheme questions, but don't criticize him for having bad players. That's a bit of a tangent. But all that to say, a new defensive coordinator isn't going to fix those issues if those issues are still there at the start of next season. It's also important to remember that a good defense isn't going to shut down opposing offenses every week. Again, this feels like something that we shouldn't have to say a whole lot, but it's it's true. Uh, defensive coordinators are not going to solve each and every issue as far as keeping other teams out of the end zone. It's an offensive league. This is how the the league wants things to be. And 
just the it's the reality that a defensive coordinator isn't going to be able to slow down opposing offenses all the time. I mean, look at the Minnesota Vikings this past season. They had as good a defense as you could hope for. Uh, historically good in some places, especially when it comes to things like third down conversions. They gave up 30 points in two separate games. Um, they they got hammered pretty good by the Carolina Panthers. They could probably have put up more than 31 points. The Washington Redskins put up 30 on them. The Steelers put up 26. Even the Lions put up 23 points on them. Now, there are a lot of games where they didn't score a lot of points or they didn't allow a lot of points, but it's not going to happen each and every week. And obviously, allowing fewer points does give you that edge in terms of winning more games. And I think we've seen that with the Vikings this year. But it's not going to be each and every week. And it's it's a losing battle to begin with because the league just simply doesn't want you know nine to seven games week in and week out in the NFL. That's that's boring and not good for ratings. Well, it's, it's not that boring. I think nine to seven games can be really interesting sometimes. Even that ugly 10 to three uh, Jaguars-Bills playoff game was pretty interesting. Uh, down there right at the end, it was interesting. Um, and there were some some interesting things that happened during that game. But don't expect um, that to be the week-in, week-out reality, again, no matter who the defensive coordinator is for the Packers. Finally, it's not going to be a scheme that results in success for this next defensive coordinator. We've seen the question a lot about, will the Packers stick with a 3-4? Will they move to a 4-3? Will they run something else? That really doesn't matter as much as we like to think it does, and as much as as even you know beat writers and columnists and people like me um, portray it to uh, a three four, a four three, a four two five, a forty six, whatever. It doesn't matter as much as how you respond and counter what offenses are doing. Mike McCarthy had a really good point about this in his year end news conference. He said, it's a sub-league. You know, we're running nickel 80% of the time. And I think most of the teams in the league would be running that. I saw a stat this this week that the uh, the Falcons were in nickel or more, more defensive backs, every play of the game this past Sunday because the Rams had three receivers on the field and a tight end and a running back, 11 personnel, every play. Uh, so they just stayed in nickel all the time or something comparable. That's not a 3-4. That's not a 4-3. It's going to be a sub-league. It's not the scheme that matters. It's how these defensive coordinators are both countering defenses or countering offenses, rather, and pressuring opposing offenses, making them react to what the defense is doing. So those are the things that a defensive coordinator won't do for the Packers. What will they do for the Packers? Well, It starts with just coordinating, coordinating and planning. Um, In an article at usafootball.com entitled 11 Tips for Young Coaches Taking on a Coordinator Role, this was the first thing that they listed under what a coordinator is supposed to do, offense or defense. Bring things together. The exact quote is, and I quote, coordinate does mean bring together. Work well with your coaches and players. Give them input and listen. Empower them and help them take ownership in what all of you are doing together. End quote. Now, if you think back over this past season, can you think of some times when it seems like maybe individual units on the defense were not so much working together? 
I can think of quite a few. The New Orleans game comes to mind in which it, it felt like each part of the defense, the, the, the defensive line, the linebackers, and the, the defensive backs were all on different pages. And that showed because Drew Brees did not have a very difficult afternoon that day, two interceptions notwithstanding. He was able to do whatever he wanted to do to the Packers' defense because they were not even the sum of their parts. I was going to say greater than the sum of their parts. They did not even add up to the sum of their parts. They were just three different groups doing whatever they did. The next defensive coordinator for the Packers is going to have to coordinate that a little bit better. They're also going to have to do a better job of taking away what opponents do well. The Packers under Dom Capers, especially over the last three or four years, seem to have done a poor job of recognizing what opposing teams do well and and taking that away. You really have to, that should be a basic thing, recognizing what opposing teams do well and getting in their way, making them beat you with lesser weapons. Do they have a good receiver? Well, make them beat you with your number three receiver or number two receiver instead. They are a heavy running team. Make sure that they're going to have to beat you through the air. And when they do try to beat you through the air, be sure you're ready to pressure the passer. Um, it seems like basic stuff like that is something the Packers have been missing over the past couple seasons. Second thing, or third thing, depending on how we're counting here, it's going to be imperative that the, the next defensive coordinator is able to work with Mike McCarthy and the rest of the staff in Green Bay to bring together a good coaching staff. One thing I think you can't criticize Dom Capers for is not having good assistance. Kevin Green was great here for a long time. Darren Perry, his off-the-field issues notwithstanding, is a well-regarded coach in the secondary. Joe Witt Jr. is as highly regarded a coach as, as there is on the Packers coaching staff, everyone included. Mike Turgovac was a longtime quality assistant, and he is now gone for reasons that I still don't quite understand because it's Felt like the defensive line, if any position on the Packers played well last year, that was it. The Packers have to rebuild that. They have to rebuild that staff. And the next guy who takes over as defensive coordinator is going to have to work to bring together that staff. Other teams are hiring those defensive guys, those defensive assistants right now. He is going to have to get that sorted out really quickly uh, to make sure the Packers are competitive. Another thing, third thing, fourth thing, whatever thing the Packers need to do better and the Packers can count on their defensive coordinator to do is to execute. Do those little things right. Do those basic things right. Like, I don't know, get 11 players on the field for every defensive snap. That doesn't seem like a big ask, but at times for the Packers in 2017, it kind of felt like it was. Execution was not held to a super, super high standard. Uh, for the Packers this past season. And I think the next defensive coordinator for the Packers is going to have to do a better job of that. Along those same lines, don't focus uh, or or just executing uh, helps you to focus on just doing your job rather than tricking your opponent into doing something that they don't want to do. Uh, Ben Fennell is really active on Packers Twitter, uh, tweeting out film of Packers plays. And one of the thing that, things that he harped on this past season was combo coverages uh, for the Packers. So this is essentially where you have one half of the defense, not like half, like front half, back half, but left side and right side. One half playing zone defense and one half playing man-to-man. And the idea there is you want to make the opposing quarterback think about it. That's pretty much all there is to it. You want to make him think 
that he's seeing one thing and then doubt himself when he sees something else elsewhere in the field. And if you execute it well, that's really good. But if you just focus on executing something basic and executing it well, instead, you don't have to focus on tricking the offense. You just have to out-execute them better. I guess better than they are executing what they want to do. You have to just do what you do better than they're doing what they're doing. Football is not a complicated game. I feel like far too often everyone involved, whether it's players or coaches or executives or people who write about it or talk about it, want to make football into some sort of mythical, super complicated, over-the-top thing. And it's not. It's, it's, It's a pretty simple game. Get the ball into the end zone, stop the other guy from getting in the end zone, run it, pass it, however you want to do it. It's pretty simple. It's simple to the point that most teams in the league run basically the same offense or basically the same terminology. You can come in and learn the stuff pretty quickly and easily. It's when you start getting into that execution phase that things get complicated. And uh, I think that's where the Packers have faltered in the past couple, couple seasons. Finally, the last thing that I think we can expect reasonably from a defensive coordinator is innovation. Uh, Being able to take what we have on the field and elevate it. This is not, as I mentioned earlier, overcoming personnel issues or overcoming a lack of talent, but this is taking the talent that you have and figuring out a way to use it best. I think that's a big reason that haha Clinton Dix did what he did this season. And what he did was not play very, very well at all. Um, he, he doesn't seem like they have had any interest in trying to help him become a better player. They're just trying to get him to do his job so other parts of the defense don't fall completely apart. Well, what happened this year is both halves of that equation fell apart. Uh, the stuff in front of haha fell apart and then haha himself wasn't very good and the back end of that defense. Innovation in the form of putting players in the position to do what they do best is going to be a key part of the next defensive coordinator's job responsibilities, whoever that is. And I've kept this a little bit vague just because we don't know who that defensive coordinator is going to be. I half expected the news to break while I was recording this. It hasn't so far, knock on wood. It'll probably happen right after we we hit stop and, and are done recording. But I've tried to keep this general so we can take these principles and try to apply them to whoever gets the job. And whoever gets that job does have a challenging job ahead. And I think it's important to set our expectations for that person correctly. Hopefully we've done that today. While I've got you here, I want to talk to you about something that has been on my mind as we head towards the start of NFL draft season. I guess with the conclusion of the college season, we're officially there. But in regards to the draft... In regards to free agency, in regards to everything that goes on in this time of the NFL where there's a lot of moving pieces, beware of the people who say that they know things. The people who are going to tell you, this guy is for sure a surefire draft pick. This guy is a can't-miss free agent prospect. This guy is going to turn around your defense if you hire him as your coordinator. Beware of those people. There are a lot of them out there. They're prominent on Twitter. They're prominent in NFL media. Beware. Not because they're going to try to lead you astray, but because of how they're going to lead you astray. They're going to make claims without evidence. And one of the things that I've always harped on here at the Power Sweep and Blue 58 is backing up claims 
with evidence. I've had a long-running, let's call it a discussion, with one particular commenter um, on our Facebook page over the past couple days, and he's challenged a couple articles that we've written. I have felt without evidence. And so when he's, he's made his claims, I've asked him, well, what evidence do you have for that? And I think in at least one case, he's come around to our way of viewing things just because I've shown him the evidence for how we're thinking about what we're thinking and writing and, and saying here. Be careful with the people in NFL media who don't want you to challenge them and who don't want to present evidence. Um, the good guys will show you their work. The bad guys will just say, this is my draft board, and this guy's the number one quarterback, this guy's the number three quarterback, this guy's not very good, he's the number seven quarterback on my board, and you got to take my word for it. Challenge people like that, however way that you can. Maybe you don't have an opportunity to challenge them, but if they say something, go and look it up, try to figure out why are people saying the things that they're saying. You learn a little bit more along the way yourself, and it puts you in a better position to disagree with those people, respectfully, of course, in the future. Just beware. Think about those things as we head into the offseason. I think that's a pretty good life lesson as well. Thank you so much for listening this week. That's all I've got for you. You can find us at thepowersweep.com. As always, we'll have a lot of good stuff coming up there, including our season review series of every player on the Packers uh, this season coming up real soon. You can also find us at Facebook and Twitter. Just search The Power Sweep on either of those websites that'll take you right to us. If you would prefer to reach out via email, as some of you have done, we always appreciate those emails. You may send them to us at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you would choose to support us, there are a variety of ways that you can do that. The freest and easiest way is to uh, give us a review on iTunes. That'll help more people find the show and show people the good things that we're doing along the way. No pressure there, uh, but if you do want to support the show, that's one easy, free way to do it. Financial support is also appreciated as well. You may do that at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or on Teespring by buying one of our fine t-shirts or sweatshirts. Find a link to our Teespring store at thepowersweep.sweep.com. Just click store. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps me uh, become better at what I do. It helps us make this whole operation, Blue 58 and the Power Sweep, better. And most importantly, it helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we are all trying to be. I'm John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.